Over our time in the book of Acts, in the previous, these 18 chapters, we have watched the Lord just work in incredible ways in building the church. You remember that there at the end of the Gospels, we find the Lord being crucified and being buried and rising again three days later. The disciples have all departed and left from him. Peter denied him. In the book of Acts, we find the, the Lord coming, rising again from the dead, and building the church. We watch him appear before the disciples. We watch him appear before 500 at one time. We watch him minister to, to people and work through the disciples and perform all kinds of, of signs and wonders. And we, we see the church being built. We, we, we don't meet in, in a time like this on a morning like this just because this is what Christians decided to do. We, we do this because this is what God determined to take place. He desired for the church to be built. He, he gave us the Holy Spirit and he gifts people in all different kinds of ways so that we would build up each other. To, to think of the church as a living organism in which God gifts people, all different kinds of people, and ministers through them so that we all can be blessed and that's what he's done. We watch him do that throughout this book. We, we see that he brings people to salvation works miraculously in their hearts. We see people being put to death, like Stephen, for his faith. And we, we watch, even in the midst of tragedies like that, the Lord glorifying himself. We see that, that, that he takes one of the primary men involved with having Stephen be put to death, Saul, and God saves him. He saves him. Knocks him to the ground, peers before him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul comes to salvation and becomes the Apostle Paul. We watch him work in, in disciplining people at the church, as we find with Ananias and Sapphira. Them lying to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit just dealing with it immediately and them being put to death. We find him working in... in the apostles as they're thrown into to prison and, and God causes that earthquake to come and the shackles fall off the prisoners, the disciples, the Christians. And then we find the prison guard ready to, the keeper of the prison ready to, to take his life and the apostles stop him and say, we're all here. And we watch that man and his entire family get saved. God's building the church. God is doing this. God is working in just incredible ways. And this is how the Lord works and continues to work to this day. Taking all different kinds of people, all who are believers here this morning, working in us, bringing us to salvation, and then gifting us in such a way to minister one to another. I think of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it tells us that the Holy Spirit distributes to each person individually as he wills. 
that God is a God that, that is into the individual and he gifts them individually as he wills. He goes from there to tell us that we are one body. Um, he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it there not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Or if the whole body were hearing, would be the smell, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. We see God's sovereign hand over all of it and gifting people in such a way where he says, every single person is important. Every one of them. There was a, a man by the name of, of Hugh Latimer who lived in the 1500s in England. And he was a, became a a bishop and, and one in, in whom served within the Catholic Church for over 30 years. Uh, one who, who in doing his, his studies at Cambridge, his dissertation was on what is wrong and the, 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 the fact that the Reformation was not true. That was the way that he thought. And he lived that way. He spoke that way. He put all of his efforts towards bringing down the Protestants during the Reformation and building up Catholicism. He served during that time, lived at that time of, of Henry the, the Seventh, Henry the Eighth, Edward the, the Sixth, and Mary the First, Bloody Mary. He lived during that time frame. Um, and uh, there was a, a young monk by the name of of Bidley, who were told that, or Bilney, I'm sorry, Thomas Bilney, and he was known as Little Bilney, and the reason why, because he was small. And we're told that, that this man looked upon this leader, Hugh Latimer, and just thought, how do I share the gospel with him? He was just a lowly monk, lowly in stature as well as in how people esteemed him. Everybody just called him Little Building. And he, he thought, you know, if I could share the gospel with him, if he could get saved, if he could believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Christ alone for salvation, what could God do through a man like that? He tried to think of how to share the gospel with him and finally came to the conclusion of, well, He's a priest. He has to listen to my confession. And so he asked if he could come and have a time of confession with Latimer. So he did. During that time of confession, he shared of what God had done in his life and just shared the gospel with Hugh Latimer. And it was during that time of confession that Hugh Latimer got saved. Awesome. Here's this Little Bilney, no one knows about him. Shares the gospel and confessional. And this man gets saved. You watch him go from being high up within Catholicism, Roman, amongst the Roman Catholics, to a leader amongst the Protestants. Eventually, 
Bloody Mary had him thrown into the London Tower, and he was there with another man named by the name of Nicholas Ridley, and they were there for 18 months. And Queen Mary had him fastened to a stake on October 16th of 1555 there in Oxford. He was amongst the Oxford martyrs. And he was lit on fire, burned at the stake. But we're told that there, as he was there with Ridley, the two of them were there being burned at the stake, that Latimer looked to Ridley and said these words, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And that took place. Three years later, Mary was no longer in that office. And Protestant faith just flourished amongst those in England. A light, a candle that was lit that I trust shall never be put out. Here we are, half a millennium later, talking about it. But little Bilney, he was the one that shared the gospel with Hugh Latimer. And God worked in just incredible ways through that. We find here in our text, God working through specific individuals. Those that have stirred up the gift that God has given them and God working in them. Let's look at Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Let's see the text before us. So Paul stood, or so, so Paul still remained a good while. And then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. First verse of our text as we look at the rest of this chapter. The Apostle Paul had made a temporary Nazarite vow to not cut his hair for a period of time. And more likely it was um, just for several weeks that that was taking place. But he goes and, and he sailed for Syria. He's taken this vow and this vow is one of, of thanksgiving to the Lord. Nazarite vow is not something that we're called to do today. In fact, Acts 21 tells us that Gentiles ought not to take such vows. But Paul tells us that our vows that we should be taking are those of giving thanks and praising him and living for him. You think of Romans 12 where he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Make vows like that. Well, that's what he had done. And he's there and he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him husband and wife. He takes them with him. And they came to Ephesus. And Paul left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Priscilla and Aquila, two people, husband and wife, 
using their marriage in such a way that God is glorified. We know a little bit of information about them. We know that that 1 Corinthians 16 tells us that Aquila and Priscilla had a church that was in their house. They opened up their home so the church could be in there. We know that that Aquila was a Jew born in Pontus. Acts 18 tells us that. Um, That they came from Italy because Claudius had commanded the Jews to depart from Rome, so they they, they left. And we know that they were, by occupation, tent makers. They were ones that would make tents. That was their job. Priscilla and Aquila, the tent makers. They worked with leather. They would take leather and, and... do all that was necessary to tan it and to to make tents out of it. This is not a, a couple that would be particularly wealthy. Just a husband and wife that worked. They used the extra time that they had to serve the Lord. Husband and wife serving him. We know that that Romans 16 tells us that Priscilla and Aquila they were fellow workers in Christ Jesus with the Apostle Paul. And Paul tells us that they risked their own necks for my life. They risked their necks for me. It doesn't say that just Aquila did. It says husband and wife, they both did. They were both in a place where together they were there to serve the Lord. And they put their lives on the line for the Apostle Paul. And they just went to wherever he asked them to go. In this case, would you go with me to Ephesus? And they said, yeah, we'll go. And then it's, I'm going to leave you here. I'm going down to Jerusalem. I'll be back. But they set up shop, work in there, and begin ministering the gospel there in Ephesus. I look at this and As we go through our text this morning, we are going to find a husband and wife that are united together in serving the Lord. Just being at a place of together, we are going to glorify God. I know there's people within our congregation in which that's not possible. One is because maybe you're not married and God has not had you in that place right now and you're serving the Lord and using this time just for God's glory. I know that that was the case for me for several years until I was 32. Um, I wanted to get married right away. I, I, I think I, I took 23 units one semester because I just I wanted to get done with college because I wanted to get married. And then, bam, Tasha came 12 years later. It was awesome. I mean, like, <laughs> it wasn't my plan, but I, I could have. Could have enjoyed college maybe a little bit more, but I wanted to get done. She was still in grade school, so it wouldn't have been appropriate at that particular time. Um, it's kind of wrong, huh? But it's true. But those years were used in such a way that God was glorified. It was good. For some of you, you may be in a place where your spouse is not a believer, and the Lord would call you to. Love your spouse, minister 
to your spouse, care for your spouse, share the gospel, live the gospel out for your spouse, that they might come to know him. But some of you may also be in a place where you're going about marriage and you're going about marriage in such a way that God's not the center of the way that things are being done. May this morning be a time in which we look at a husband and wife and see them using their gifts united together in such a way that they are on the same team and their goal is God's glory and the proclamation of the gospel. And they are so united in that that God's glorified. It's awesome to see as we find them mentioned in Scripture over and over again, Priscilla and Aquila, taking their tent-making business and saying, we'll go with him to Ephesus. We'll leave where we're at, and we will go with him. And he can leave us here, and we will begin to serve. Going back to Paul, it says in verse 20, when they asked him to stay a, a, a longer time with them, he did not consent. But he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in, in, in order strengthening all the disciples. We just read a, a, a series of this is here where he went on his second missionary journey. These are the things that he did. And it's just thrown out there. Paul went here, then went there, and then went there, and then went there. And this is how he traveled, and this is what he did. And he's strengthening all the disciples. If you map that out, he's gone over 1,500 miles in those verses right there. 1,500 miles. That's like saying there's no planes there's no cars, there's no trains, but I'm going to go and here's where I'm going to go and I'm going to land myself in Houston, 1,500 miles away. It's just incredible to think of the Apostle Paul and just his passion for the gospel. I'm going, here's where I went, and literally be like sailing or walking or going to Houston from Southern California. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Enters Apollos into the scene. What do we know about him? We know he was Jewish. We know he was a Jew that was born in Alexandria, so he was born in Egypt. At that time, it was a place where there was a large Jewish population there at the mouth of the Nile. He's an eloquent man. Alexandria was, was a place that had the largest library in the world, and he would have been very well studied. He was an eloquent man. He was known to be what said mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures. I don't, I don't know for anybody that's a teacher of God's word 
that there could be a better description of anybody than this was someone who was mighty in the Scriptures. He understood the Scriptures. He loved the Scriptures. He memorized the Scriptures. He was mighty in the Scriptures. He was also fervent in spirit. He was a man who was filled with a passion for the things of God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones described preaching as logic on fire. And that would be what this man was like. Logic on fire. Eloquent and fervent. We also know that he had been taught from Scripture and he was accurate in what he taught, but he only knew of the baptism of John the Baptist. Whatever had happened, he had not heard the fullness of the gospel. He understood Scripture. He understood the Messiah was to come. He understood what John the Baptist had taught, but he did not understand the fullness of Christ and Him crucified. He didn't understand that Jesus had come and fulfilled all righteousness, that Jesus died on the cross as prophecy had said would take place, that He was buried and that He rose again from the dead and that whosoever believes in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He didn't understand the fullness of the gospel. He spoke boldly of the things that he knew. But he needed to understand the gospel in its entirety. And so husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla, it tells us they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Explained to him. I think this is just a precious scene in Scripture. Here you have the little Bill, Billney. Here you have someone that, that, that nobody really knows about. They're just they're, they're tent makers. They have a business. They go about and they, they make tents. They take leather. They know how to do it. They make tents. They're willing to leave Italy when they need to, and they're willing to go to wherever God would take them, and they're willing to follow the Apostle Paul and say, yeah, we'll we'll pack up, we'll go to Ephesus, we'll start a business there again. They're just willing to do what God calls them to do. And they're there and they're in the synagogue and they're listening to this man, Apollos, preaching. And they're saying, he's accurate. He's bold. He's fervent. He's so eloquent. He's someone that's from Alexandria. He knows so much and here he's teaching there in the synagogue, but... Sweetheart, he doesn't understand all of it. He doesn't know all of what God has done. Let's, let's invite him over. Let's talk with him. It, it tells us they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It wasn't that they said, hey, you're wrong about that. Start yelling in the synagogue. It's just, let's, let's talk with him. Let's share what we know. Let's share the gospel. And so husband and wife take this particular man and they teach him, explain to him the way of God more accurately. Here's what God's done. Christ came. Christ fulfilled all righteousness. Christ was betrayed. Christ took All of your sin upon himself as he hung on that cross. He paid a price that you never could possibly pay. 
You know the sacrifices that are in the Old Testament and the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. You know the spotless lamb that had to be slaughtered. You know in, in, in Scripture where it tells us that there's the Passover and there's the blood that's put on the doorpost. And when the angel of death sees the blood, he passes over that house. The precious blood of Christ was spilled. This is where it says it would take place. This is where it says his hands would be pierced. This is where it said that he'd be born of a virgin. This is where it says all these things thousands of years before he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. This is where he says all these things and he died and he was buried just as it said. And he rose again from the dead and we saw him and he appeared before the disciples. He appeared before 500 people at one time. This is what he's done. And they just poured themselves into ministering the gospel to this man, husband and wife together. And God works in just an awesome way through. You see the sweetness of their spirit in this? God will go wherever you call me to go. We won't take a salary, we'll just we'll make tents. We'll live humbly. They could have thought, like, who are we to go to talk with someone like that? He's so eloquent. No, they just, let's take him aside and let's just talk to him. And they do. It could have been that Apollos could have thought, who are you guys to teach me? But that's not the case. He's teachable. He listens. And he was used in just an absolutely incredible way for the kingdom of God. Paulus, ministering the gospel. Turn with me for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find him mentioned again. Here within this particular church, there's Division that's taking place. In verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Here we find it mentioned again. Some of you here are are saying, I'm of Paul. Others of you are saying, no, I'm of Apollos. There's division that's taking place. I've wanted to teach you. I've wanted to to give you just the meat of God's word, but I've only been able to give you the milk because you are still in a place of just being filled with the stuff of the world and divisions that are among you and just immaturity for believers. Some people are saying that you're of Paul and some people are saying I'm of Apollos. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Paul says, I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. 
Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We find this man's name mentioned here in this particular text. He's teaching the people. Those that are there saying, like, I'm with that guy. Others saying, no, I'm with the Apostle Paul. And here's Paul just saying, who are we? Who's Paul? Who is Apollos? Who are either one of us? We're nothing. Paul's just saying, I'm, I'm the one that, that planted. But Apollos watered. Paul's saying, I... I, I left and I went to this place and then went to that place and brought this person and left them there and then brought these two people and left them here and then I came back and I ministered and I, I planted. I shared the gospel every chance that I got. Everywhere I could possibly go, I preached the gospel, whether it be after an earthquake came and shared there, whether it be after Persecution shared there. Wherever it was, I ministered the gospel. But Apollos watered. He watered. An awesome picture of what's taking place in this man's life. And you forget about the little building, huh? You forget about husband and wife ministering to the gospel. No one's saying, I'm of Priscilla. I'm of Aquila. No one's saying that. They're saying, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos. It's so important for us as a church to understand every single person in Scripture has a purpose. And every single person within the church has a purpose. And they're gifted. And they're to use the gifts and stir them up for the building up of the rest of the body. Husband and wife. They did that. Together. Let's take this person in. Let's minister to them. Ministering the gospel. A mom, a dad, ministering the gospel to kids. They're frequently... Not the ones that are mentioned. The grandma, the grandpa, pouring themselves into kids. And they come to know Christ. It's the faithfulness of people like Priscilla and Aquila that just say, we, we live for the Lord. We belong to him. We'll go where he calls us to go and we'll make our tents there. We'll open up our house and make it so that church could take place there. We'll put out our necks for the sake of the apostle, if that's what God calls us to do. We'll go to different countries, we'll go to different cities, we'll go wherever God calls us to go, and we'll minister the gospel, because that's why we exist. That's why we're here. And they did. Apollos gets saved, and he begins to water water them. He begins to, to minister to them the teaching of God's word and patiently teaching the church as God had called him to do. 
mighty in the Scriptures, fervent in spirit, spoke boldly the things that he knew, accurate in what he taught. And this is how he lived. He watered that way. He watered that way. But in the end, the question that comes up is, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? Isn't the Lord the one that gave to each one of them? Isn't God the one that did that? Who's Priscilla? Who's Aquila? Isn't it God who just worked in that marriage amongst that husband and wife to leave family or whoever was there in Italy and eventually be planted here in Ephesus? We'll serve him there. God was working in his people to build up the church and for the furtherance of the gospel. And he did. When you look at the early church and you see what God does there, it's important for us to to take it and, and to compare where we are at with that, to apply it to our lives. For us as a church, I pray that we would be a healthy church healthy church filled with Priscilla's and Aquila's filled with people like Paulus filled with people like the Apostle Paul that are willing to go and plant filled with people that are there and and just saying like it is not about us but it is about Christ they loved him they loved him They knew that he died. They knew that he was buried. They knew that he rose again. They knew that he took their sins upon himself and he gave them his righteousness. They knew that the resurrection from the dead was only possible because Christ had risen, just as he said. And they poured themselves entirely into living for him. May we be encouraged This morning, you may feel like a little Bilney. You may feel like a Priscilla or an Aquila. They were used in just mighty, mighty ways for the gospel. But if you're in a place where that's just not the case, marriage is not centered around how do we minister How do we use the time that God's given us as much as possible for the kingdom? May we just find the example in these people, this husband and wife, and say, let's do that. Let's do that. If spouse is not there or spouse is not willing, pour yourself into ministering. Be an example to them or use singleness as this time in your life in such a way that's just it is going to be used to the most to God's glory and watch God accomplish his purposes. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the example that we find here in scripture. We thank you for the pictures that we see of just 
fervent hearts, boldness, desire to be accurate, husband and wife desiring to use the gifts that God has given them for you and for your kingdom. Working hard, making tents. But they don't identify themselves as tent makers who also happen to be Christians. They identify themselves as Christians who also happen to be tent makers. May there be business people, moms, firefighters and policemen, teachers, grandparents, who are Christians that also happen to be those things. And they use the gifts that you've given them to build up the body and for the furtherance of the gospel, single-minded, desiring to not bury their gifts, but to use them for your glory. May we be a church filled with those kinds of people. I pray, Lord, that if there's been just worldliness that's come into our lives, worldliness that's come into our marriages, worldly thinking that governs how we make decisions rather than biblical thinking that decides how we do the things that we do. May this day be a day of great repentance in our lives, a changing of direction to not do things our way, but to do things your way. To live single lives your way, to be married and to do it your way. And may we watch you glorify yourself in such a way that we say, who are we? We're nothing, but look at what God has done through us. We serve a God that does that and he gets all the glory. Thankful for our scripture. We're thankful for the examples that have been given to us. Use it, Lord, in our lives now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.